Hello, ladies. You're listening to Fancy for Romance, a podcast for historical romance fiction lovers. And I'm your host, Lenora, a fellow fan. This is episode three, and it's called In the Cold, Harsh Light, where I'm going to be diving into Wicked and the Wallflower by Sarah McLean. Okay, friends, before we begin, I don't use character names, so you'll mostly hear female lead and male lead. There will be the occasional spoiler, but nothing that will ruin it if you haven't read the novel. So without further ado, let's get to it. The story begins at the ball being held in Marwick House. Our male lead is breaking in to make sure the Duke is reminded of the promise they made to each other all those years ago. No heirs. The male lead has been betrayed by the Duke and means to punish him for his past transgressions. While sneaking into the ball, the door to the conservatory opens and in comes our female lead, causing the male lead to hide in the shadows. She heads to the balcony to catch a breath from the ball, a moment of quiet away from the harsh criticism. After exquisite banter between our main characters, they go their separate ways. But to our female lead's chagrin, she bumps into her former group of friends who do nothing but humiliate her. In a moment of rash indignation, our female lead proclaims to the group to have already landed the Duke. Back at home, the female lead is in a panic and is distressed by her lie. She has been ruined. When she enters her bedchamber, the mysterious man from the ball has come to offer her a deal. He offers her a duke. She negotiates for passion as well. Little does she know that the male lead is using her to exact his revenge. So here we are, friends. And let me tell you, I ate up this book. When I read the back cover, I wasn't expecting much, to be real. I knew it would be a good read. I knew I would enjoy it. I mean, the author proclaims Mel Lee to be a bastard son of a duke and king of London's dark streets. I enjoy reading stories with bad boys, so I knew I had a check mark there. But you want to know what got me, though? It was the language used in the story that hooked me. In the prologue alone, I felt like I was reading a fairy tale. In my mind, I could imagine listening to the narrator from Beauty and the Beast. So Disney-like, but not childish. Since I feel like I do it no justice, I'll read a short snippet from the prologue. The three were woven together long before they were aware. Strands of spun silk and steel that could not be separated. Not even when their fate insisted upon it. Brothers born on the same day, in the same hour, at the same minute to different women. The high-priced courtesan, the seamstress, the soldier's widow. Born on the same day, in the same hour, at the same minute, to the same man, the Duke, their father, whose arrogance and cruelty fate would punish without hesitation, stealing from him the one thing he wanted that his money and power could not buy, an heir. I love the repetition and how it creates the feeling of a rhyme, but not quite. The story in general carries just the right amount of description so that you are immersed in the environment, but not too much that you are bored. As you continue reading, the language juice continues to flourish. The banter between female and male lead is off the charts. There is wit and charm and flirtation. It's delicious. After the first couple of chapters, I was invested because I wanted to see the male lead's plan fail. 
After all, we know the main characters will fall in love. It's the how that's enthralling. Our female lead is a wonderful character. She is bright, witty, and her hero's journey, or transformation if you will, was wonderfully illustrated. She is actually a relatable character. Her journey starts with her dissatisfaction with her current life. She was outed of her friend group, outcasted by society, plastered as a wallflower. All she wanted was to reintegrate herself into the glamorous life she once led. What she believed at the time was important and a part of who she was. The thing here is, she wants to go back to the known and familiar. She wants acceptance and she is seeking it from her social circle and her peers. She wants to follow the dictates of society even though they do not truly inspire her or let her grow and thrive. She is neglecting herself simply to fit in because she believes it to be the right thing to do, because it is the only thing she knows and because it is what she was taught. That is what's so lovely about her transformation. Even though it is set in 1837, her problems are still relevant to this day. Even though it's a fictional character with exaggerations built in for entertainment purposes, it doesn't change the fact that the author gave her a very grounded human problem. She wants to fit in. She wants to be accepted. Her transformation is relatable. We might not be in London or a part of the glittering ton, but the fact is, a lot of times while growing up, we tend to neglect ourselves or change ourselves to fit in or to follow the norm. As social creatures, we value what those around us think, even to our own detriment. Through her journey, she begins to accept herself for who she is and what she wants. She begins to follow her gut and pursue her true desires. She realizes that what society has dictated is not important to her any longer, all the while discovering herself and that there is more to her and for her than she had believed possible. The female lead goes through a transformation from a passive wallflower to a lock-picking temptress, determined to open the doors shut before her, not letting anything get in the way of what she truly wants and who she truly is. The male lead is the king of the underground. He is a powerful character who has fought for what he has. He has made his fortunes from nothing, all while protecting his siblings. As a character, male lead was all dark mush. What I mean by that is that he projects himself as a dark, dangerous, alluring, and powerful man. But as soon as he gets captivated by the female lead, he becomes all mush. It's very sweet and totally fictional. He is, in his own right, a powerful character though. He just so happens to become mush around her. From the start, his plan for revenge is silly, and even his close brother questions its validity. Now, as male characters go, the way he falls for her is endearing. The way he treats her as perfection is swoon-worthy. I would say his character flaw is putting the female lead on a pedestal too far above himself. It gets to the point that his treating her as perfection gets rather cheesy and at times annoying. He actually displays low self-worth when it comes to her, which again, is a character flaw because we need those to create semi-believable characters. He is also a character who has a clearly defined idea of what is possible and not possible for himself. 
of what is right and wrong and what should and should not be. This causes him to push away the female lead when he realizes he wants her. Again, because he does not feel worthy of her. In a way, his character growth was also about wanting more than the rules and bounds he had set for himself. Accepting that more was possible, that even he could wish for the light and have it. Furthermore, learning that there was more to darkness than even he had realized. The ideas of light and darkness in the novel fascinated me. The interpretations of light and darkness vastly changed depending on the character. This is what gave me the idea for the episode title. Early in the story, we can easily see the female lead's idea of what light and darkness represent. On page 19, and I'm quoting, Maybe he was the darkness itself, ephemeral and mysterious and tempting. So much more tempting than the daylight, where flaws and marks and failures shone bright and impossible to miss. The darkness had always tempted her, the locks, the barriers, the impossible. And on page 20, and this is a partial quote, everything seemed more possible in darkness than in the cold, harsh light. Here we can see an unusual idea of what darkness represents, and I love it. For the female lead, darkness is the unknown, wonder, mystery, possibility, and freedom from society's pressures. While the light for her represents coldness, Scrutiny, restraint, rules, bounds, expectations, and shackles. It's a wonderful interpretation and rings true for the character because the female lead lives in a world where one must conform to society's rules and structure. A world where you are constantly being judged and scrutinized. A world full of light, splendor, and power. However, the moment you step outside those rules, you are cast out and ostracized. In this sense, the light is suffocating, cold, and unforgiving. This leads me to the male lead's interpretation of light and darkness. His is the more stereotypical. For the male lead, darkness is sin, greed, distrust, lack, and fear, while light is warmth, beauty, comfort, and purity. Throughout the story, the female and the male lead both want what the other has. The female lead wants darkness, adventure, and his world. The male lead wants light, warmth, happiness, and her. To further emphasize the point, one of their intimate scenes is in chapter 19, and it is done in the light. Our female lead in chapter 18 stated on page 247 that she had never seen him in the light. So after their moment together, the male lead realizes what just transpired and he walks away into the darkness. Their brief moment together is about him attaining light and for her, it's about succumbing to the darkness. Both of them see the possibility and the beauty of the other. They accept each other and I find that the contrast in how they do so is lovely. The idea of light and darkness is beautifully woven into the story and is highly entertaining to read the two perspectives. It builds upon their character growth and echoes their relationship. The characters have several romantic encounters in the story. We have three kiss scenes, two heavy petting scenes, and one joining. However, one of the kiss scenes does fall into the category of light petting if I were to be technical. 
The language used for the actual encounters is quite strong and descriptive, something to bear in mind. It is for the adult reader. What I think made all of this work for me as a reader, though, was indeed the language used throughout the story. The banter between both characters is amusing and salacious as well as the fact that throughout the work, the author sets things up as a fairy tale. She even adds the Roman story of the god Janus. So this fantastical element integrated into the story allows for some of the lines to land nicely, especially towards the end when things begin to get cheesy. And they do get quite cheesy. Their relationship does fall a bit into the love at first sight category. But again, that doesn't bother me because of the fairy tale vibe created. I know what I got into from the prologue, and I am perfectly okay with it. One of the historical tidbits that I found fascinating was the shublock. This is because the female lead has the criminal tendencies to lockpick. I had never heard of the chub lock before, as it had never occurred to me how to prevent lock picking, or even just having the need for said lock has never been on my radar. Now, understanding what a chub lock is, as well as what it does, is pretty simple, and was perfectly described in the story. It's a lock that prevents theft by detecting when a person is trying to pick it or uses the wrong key. Then the mechanism becomes unusable until the owner of the lock uses a kind of reset key that comes with it. It's a really straightforward concept, though I am pretty sure the mechanism is quite complex. That being said, what got me on Google was wanting to know what said lock looked like. So I found two websites that I will link in the description. They talk about the history of the lock and have lots of pictures of what the lock could look like. Every time you read a historical romance set in London, for the most part, if relevant to the story, you will hear about Covent Garden in one way or another. It's a historical location and is still active today. Something that usually catches my attention while reading is how characters like our male lead refer to the impoverished areas as the rookery. After a while, you realize that they are referring to the slums. The term is used because of its resemblance to the densely packed nesting usually seen done by birds in trees. The conditions of the rookery were abysmal as they were heavily crowded, had little ventilation, and were very unhygienic. Again, we're talking about 1837. Because of the poverty, we can see or at least try to understand why there was so much crime in the area. We can also understand the male lead a little better and why he was so bent on the female lead not going anywhere near Covent Garden because he was vastly aware that one wrong turn and she could get hurt. In addition, we can understand why the fact the male lead actually taking care of his turf would be seen as important and garner such loyalty from the people who live there. If there is a person who is actually improving your living conditions and giving honest work to the people therein, it is easy to conclude that keeping said person safe is to the benefit of many. This, in my opinion, worked well in the plot of our story and helped us fall more in love with the male character. It shows his humanity. He is not a cruel man. It also justifies the reason why a man as powerful as the Duke could not find the male lead and his siblings. The male lead had gained the trust of his people and they protected each other. All in all, be it the contrast between light and darkness, the female lead's personal transformation story, the male lead's attempt at happiness, or the fantastical fairy tale elements integrated into the story and the language used, this read was riveting.
And this brings us to the end of a Fancy for Romance podcast episode number three in the cold, harsh light, reacting to Wicked and the Wallflower by Sarah McLean. Thank you so much for listening to the end. I appreciate it so much. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and share with your friends who you think will find this entertaining. See you next time.